11, I cannot believe that this study is about over. It seems like we just started, and I just cannot even believe it that here we are 10 weeks later, having studied all of Genesis and come to the very end, Genesis 50, uh, and so much has been learned through the life of Joseph. So would you find in your Bibles Genesis 50 as we study today, and the truth that is overarching over all of our message today is God's sovereign purposes will be accomplished. Oh, doesn't that give you courage and strength knowing that God will do what he will do and what a blessing that when we cooperate with him, he is able to work in and through us, but it is not dependent upon us. It is God's work, and he is at work in so many ways of our lives. So after completing the task of blessing each one of his boys, the scripture says that Jacob, um, let me get my glasses on, that drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last, and he was gathered to his people. That's the end of chapter 49. Now let's look at chapter 50, and let's think for a minute about Joseph's pain. Look in chapter 50, verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face, and he wept over him, and he kissed him. Oh, Joseph is in such pain. He's missed out on so much time with his father. The first 17 years of his life, he was there with Jacob, and then he was sold into Egypt. The last 17 years of Jacob's life, Joseph got to enjoy, but it must have been such a, a, a deep, deep pain knowing he missed out on so much and he just falls on his father's face, weeps over him and kisses him in sorrow and in grief. Jacob had enjoyed, I believe, the blessing of being with his reunited family, watching his family grow and prosper in Egypt, had given him a great measure of joy. And I think during those years that he believed uh, his son was dead, those several decades of separation from Joseph, I believe there wasn't much joy in his life. And so here at the end of his life, of Jacob's life, he has time to spend with uh, Joseph. It's interesting, the other brothers don't seem to be there uh, at the moment of his death. Joseph alone seems to be there. And Joseph is so highly regarded by the Egyptians that they transfer their love and affection to his father as well. And they give him what is really a funeral uh, that is like a state funeral that would have been reserved for kings and pharaohs. And so the, the text goes on to say that uh, all of these Egyptians, as well as his own family, and uh, everyone but his, uh, they took everyone, uh, but the, the little one stayed behind, and they went to bury um, Joseph, excuse me, Jacob, they went to bury him in Canaan. And I believe that Joseph as he pondered the life of his father, was well pleased to be able to fulfill his final wish, and that was that he be buried in Canaan. The second thing I want you to notice is what I call the pardon. Now, it's so interesting. Once they got Jacob buried, 
his brothers began to be concerned, even though for 17 years, Joseph has ministered grace upon grace to them. He has been loving and kind to them and their families. He's done everything he can to show God's love in practical ways. And yet, they begin to be very anxious that now that their father is gone, they begin to think Joseph is going to come after them. Look in uh, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin for they did you wrong. And now please forgive them. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now the brothers also came and fell down before him and they said, behold, we'll just be your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? That is, the brothers know or believe that Joseph has been acting like he has forgiven them for the sake of Jacob. And now that Jacob's gone, Joseph is going to come after them. So they send in a representative to speak to Joseph. And, and the representative, one of the brothers, probably uh, Benjamin, since he wasn't involved in all of this. Um, so they, he goes and says, Joseph, here's the deal. We'll just be your slaves. We'll just be your servants. And Joseph said to them... Am I in God's place? Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. As Dana just shared with us, evil, God, good. God was able to take the evil that they meant against their brother and turn it out for good in Joseph's life. Now, he did not remove the evil. God did not remove the evil, but he gave Joseph the power to walk through the evil as he, meant, as he turns it for his good without allowing bitterness to lodge in his heart. And you will recall that Joseph forgave them before they asked for it, he forgave them years before. In fact, when they were first reunited, uh, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid of what you have done against me. And he blesses them. And yet they're still nervous about their sin. And beloved, this is such a picture of what happens to so many believers. That when they sin after their conversion, they're simply not able to fully receive God's forgiveness, even though he offers it. And so it causes them to get stuck in a place believing that they have been so wicked and so evil, God could never forgive them. And so they become ineffective for the cause of Christ. 
Craig and I were up north in um, New York, and we were working with a church up there, and uh, we were doing some ministry for the weekend. I had shared uh, with the women at a little women's conference, and he had talked with the men. Uh, and so at, uh, uh, after church, we were going to head out and have some lunch, and the pastor said, there's a woman in my office, and she believes the Word of God is true, but she does not believe that God can forgive her. And he said, I have tried to explain this every way I know how. I've showed her in God's word. I have talked with her. I've shared my testimony. Would you mind coming in with me to talk to this woman? And we said, certainly. So we went in there with us, and she just began to tell us that she had done so many wicked things that she could not believe God could really and truly forgive her and save her. So Craig and I shared our testimony, and we shared scripture with us, with her, and, and tried to get her to understand that indeed God is good and that he forgives to the uttermost. And we went for uh, it, just for several hours with this dear woman. She was full of such anxiety and in tears, and uh, she didn't want to go home. She was just convinced that if she did, she was going to die and go to hell. It was so tragic. And finally, at the end of several hours, you could see that God was beginning to break through in her heart and in her life. And she decided that perhaps God was a good God, just as he had said, and that he could forgive all that she had done and that she would like to pray and receive him. But she struggled so much with that that it really stalled her spiritual growth. So, beloved, if you're here today and you're having trouble walking in the forgiveness God has extended to you, may I tell you that if you have met God on his terms of repentance and faith, all of your sin, all of your sin, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you will commit is under the blood of Jesus Christ. So walk in that, claim that, appropriate the forgiveness of God. Beloved, the enemy is the one who keeps condemning you. The Spirit of God is the one who convicts you. The Spirit of God is very specific about your sin, where the enemy just gives you this feeling of, I'm the worst mother in the world. I'm the worst Christian in the world. If anybody knew what I was really like, they would not love me. They would not let me serve anywhere in the church. If anybody knew all there is to know about me, I wouldn't have any friends. Beloved, that is how the enemy operates. And may I remind you that the enemy speaks to you in first person. Because if he spoke to you in a male scary voice, well, you would know him every time. You wouldn't fall for that. So he speaks to you in first person using your own voice and your own thoughts. So it comes like this. I am a terrible mother. That is the enemy. The Spirit of God will tell you that was offensive how you handled that situation. Apologize to that child or to your husband or whatever. Very, very, very specific. The enemy just makes you feel terrible. The Lord brings conviction to draw you to repentance that you might be fully forgiven and restored. You see the difference 
Joseph had learned how to walk in the forgiveness of God. And he extended that to his brothers. He had forgiven them years earlier, years earlier. And we know this to be true because of the names he gave his sons. For instance, Manasseh, who was his firstborn, Manasseh means God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So God had worked in Joseph's life and he had settled this issue of forgiveness years before he had seen his brothers. And he never knew if he would see them again and he never knew if they would ask for forgiveness. It's fascinating, but you can forgive someone who has truly offended you and come to that place where God can cleanse that hurt it's not that you forget about it you don't pretend it didn't hurt you don't suppress it you don't put a smile on your face and act like it was nothing no you let God work you through forgiveness and forgiveness that has truly been met in God's way does not fully erase the memory memories are they lodge in our heart and mind. But when God works forgiveness, the memory of the offense begins to be so softened that you can remember it without having the pain attached to it. And that's when you know you have allowed God to work forgiveness deep into your heart and into your life. And, and, and you can be like Manasseh, God's made me forget all of my trouble in all my father's household. He's made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so God, in his mercy and in his grace, has so worked in Joseph's life that forgiveness has been there and the, the wound is no longer bleeding even though the scar remains. It's not like he forgot totally what happened. He didn't. He chose to not let that pain have dominion over him. Uh, in Charles Swindoll's book, Joseph, A Man of Integrity and Forgiveness, he said this, Joseph was led by grace. He spoke by grace. He forgave by grace. He forgot by grace. He loved by grace. He remembered by grace. Because of grace... When his brothers bowed down before him in fear, he could say, get on your feet. God meant it all for good. Beloved, God can take the worst things in our life and he can turn them to our good and his glory. It's such a divine mystery, but it is true. And so Joseph says to them in verse 19, do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Verse 21, so therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Can you imagine this scene? 
in the beginning, they're very afraid. They're terrified that he's going to imprison them or even worse. And so when they approach him, they're just ready to uh, be his servants. It's so much like the prodigal son who came home in so much shame that he said, I'll just be one of your servants. That's, that's all I need to do. And the father said, oh, no, 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 you're a son, not a servant. And that's basically what Joseph was telling them. You are forgiven. You are fully forgiven. Receive it and walk in it. Well, the third thing I want you to see is what I call Joseph's parting. Because at the end of Genesis, Joseph is going to pass away. Now, Jacob has passed away and now Joseph. Genesis began with a garden and it ends with a grave because sin entered in in chapter 3. And when sin entered in, all of mankind from that point on would have a sin nature and a propensity to sin. And so the first three books, excuse me, first three chapters of the scripture tell us about the glorious place that God had created for Adam and Eve and uh, really for humanity to live in this paradise and have full communion with him. But sin entered in and the rest of the Bible is how God has worked to fix that situation that man nearly destroyed. And so, beloved, now we see at the end of Genesis, in chapter 50, the death of Joseph. Look in verse 22. Now, Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and he lived to be 110 years old. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's son, also the sons of Machor and the sons of Manasseh, they were born on, J on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's speaking prophetically there, reminding his brothers of God's promise to Abraham that he would give them the promised land. Egypt was a temporary stop, although the Jews, the, or excuse me, the Hebrews would live there for over 400 years before God makes a way of escape through the Exodus. And then Joseph, verse 25, made the sons of Israel swear this, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years old. He was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. As we come to the end of our story, we find out that Joseph lived to be 110 years old. And he reminded um, his descendants that they were still strangers in this land, that Egypt was not their homeland, but rather one day God would lead them out, even though it would be centuries before this promise was fulfilled. Now, out of all of Joseph's accomplishment, the Spirit of God highlights his final request that we just read about as his greatest act of faith. Hebrews 11:22 makes reference to this event. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. He knew Egypt was not the final place. And when they left Egypt, he wanted them to take him with them. He did not want to be buried in Egypt because Egypt was not God's place where he belonged. And the, the um, 
his ancestors did, or excuse me, his descendants did exactly what he asked them to do. The scripture tells us in Exodus 13, 19, that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here. So Moses evidently was the one who made sure that the bones were removed and taken with them to the promised land. Now, you remember that trip should have taken about 11 days and it took 40 years of them wandering around in the wilderness. But somebody, perhaps Moses himself, cared for those bones all of that time. And you remember that Moses did not go into the promised land, but Joshua did. So the bones must have been passed probably from Moses to Joshua. And in Joshua 24, verse 32, it says, Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem in a piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's son. So Joseph, by faith, knew that Egypt was not going to be the place for God's people. And he did not want to be left behind. He wanted to go with them out of Egypt and be buried in Canaan, which is exactly what happened. We learned so many lessons from the life of Joseph. Themes such as forgiveness, that was a big one. Patience, endurance, trusting God, even when he doesn't seem to make sense. We have seen the providential care of God through Joseph's eyes. We have seen that the goodness of God should be looked at through the eye of faith and not based on circumstances. And we have seen the sovereignty of God. I've told you several times that I cannot explain to you in theological terms the sovereignty of God, but the scripture, beloved, mentions the sovereignty of God many, many times. As you study the scripture, I would encourage you to mark somehow, however you're comfortable with. I mark up my Bible. I use colored pencils. And all the way through, I use the same color. So sovereignty gets the color of red. A little dot of red and I circle that. And I cannot tell you how many times I'm finding that word sovereign or sovereignty. The scripture says the plans of God will not be thwarted. Amen and amen. God's sovereignty ensures that his perfect will will be done even when it doesn't look like it. And he used all that had happened in Joseph's life to work in Joseph's life so that he might be used, ultimately elevated, after all of this trauma, after all of this hardship, his brothers uh, wanting to kill him and then selling him uh, to a Mennonite uh, caravan, and he ends up in Egypt. He works for Potiphar, and Miss uh, Potiphar accuses him uh, of rape and assault, and he's put in prison, and, and then the the cupbearer has promised not to forget him. If he gets released, he gets released. Two years go by, and Joseph's still sitting in prison. And finally, finally, he is uh, uh, brought out of prison, and Pharaoh elevates him to second in command. He's like the prime minister of Egypt. And God used Joseph, a Hebrew, excuse me, in the setting of Egypt to save 
everyone who came there uh, for food. Just an incredible story how God was weaving together all of these events that seemed random and disconnected, but God was weaving them together to ultimately get his perfect will for Joseph's life. That's how the sovereignty of God works. We make random decisions all the time and we don't even have any idea that somehow God is connecting those decisions to ultimately bring us to a place where God will do what he will do. I, I was thinking about my boys and the girls that they married. Uh, Jason married a, a girl named Patty Stresnicki, and they met at church, but Patty's parents uh, were from Texas. That's where Patty was born there, but a job transferred them to Memphis, and they chose Bellevue to be their church home, and uh, Patty and Dawson met each other. They're the same age, our younger son. And uh, Dawson thought Patty might be somebody my older son, his older brother, might really enjoy dating. And so he introduced him and ultimately they were married. But you see these, these random decisions, uh, moving from Texas to Memphis, moving into the uh, membership at Bellevue, being active and involved in the youth department and all the programming at Bellevue. God used all of that to bring about his perfect plan to marry my son. Catherine was the same way. Catherine's uh, parents, her family, there are a different denomination, uh, but they both ended up at ECS together, and they were friends there, but it wasn't until college that uh, they began to uh, move from friends to dating, and it wasn't all that long until an engagement came about. And again, when you look at those random decisions, their parents did not set out to move to Memphis or to come to Bellevue or to go to ECS to find a, a mate for their daughters. But God did. God did. So we can trust him as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, as we walk by faith, as we are seeking after him. We can just trust him with all of these things he is orchestrating and moving around in our lives, working out all of these details. And the sovereignty of God is so incredible because God works out his perfect plan without violating our free will. Incredible thing. I've told you before that this summer, Craig and I were so blessed to get to go back and start our international travel, which we love so much. And so we were able to go um, to Africa. And as you know, the very first night in Africa, in Kenya, Craig took a terrible, terrible fall and uh, was in so much pain. Uh, the hotel had a, a concierge doctor and he came to um, uh, check on Craig. He felt like it was muscular, which it turned out to be, but it was a very painful injury. And so he arranged, that doctor arranged to have uh, some physical therapy for Craig. So he was able to get two sessions of physical therapy there at the hotel before we moved on to our next location. And the next location was a smaller city than where we were uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. And that doctor, that concierge doctor in Kenya, knew someone in the little town we were going to, and he knew of a physical therapist. So they arranged to have physical therapy for Craig while we were in that little community. Now, after uh, we finished 
finished all of our training for Pioneer Evangelism. We did two trainings there. And bless my husband's heart, it was, it was really difficult. But we'd come that far and we'd been planning and preparing and God just gave unbelievable grace um, as we were uh, able to complete the ministry. Well, after that, all the Bellevue team returned and we had made plans to go from Kenya into Uganda to work with Pastor Patrick, I told you about him several weeks ago. He's the one that is uh, raising uh, all of these extra folks in his household. There's 18 that live uh, in his household. Uh, um, just an incredible, incredible family doing great things for the Lord. So Patrick, when we arrived, when he finds out about Craig's back, he was telling us that his wife Esther had been pregnant with their fourth child, and she had taken a terrible fall. And it was so serious that she could not walk. Her legs would simply not work. And so someone told them about a gentleman whose name was Peter. And Peter was a massage therapist. And they sent her on to the hospital. She was in the hospital a couple of weeks. They could not find out what was wrong with her, why she couldn't walk. They tried several things, and it didn't work. So... Uh, Patrick wanted to see if possibly Peter could help his wife. And in just a few days, through massage therapy and God's healing, she was able to walk again. So Patrick asked Craig, could he send this man over to our hotel to work on Craig? I hope you're following. I'm, getting, I'm making the story very convoluted. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay, then. And so at this hotel we're in, now in Uganda... The very first night we're there, a knock on our door, and there is a, a gentleman standing there, and his name is Peter. Now, Peter does not speak English at all, and we don't speak a word of their language. And so I just greeted him warmly and told him to come in. Now, there was a Patrick's sister-in-law works at the hotel. And she said when he got there, she would come up and translate. So that is what she did. And honestly, it's an incredible thing, but Craig felt better as soon as he had worked on his back. And he said he would come every night while we were there to try to give him some relief, at least let, help him sleep better and endure the ministry through the day. And that's what we did. Now, Patrick, excuse me, not Patrick, but Peter. <laughs> Peter, um, at first was uh, uh, very nervous about being around us, and he wasn't particularly very open to us. He, he was polite, and he did a good job for Craig, but he, we could not seem to uh, get very connected with him. But as the week went on, and he came every day, he began smiling at us and shaking our hands and a little bit more enthusiastic. Now, Anna, who's our translator, tells Craig and I that Patrick is Muslim. And we had talked about the Lord. We had told him that we were there uh, to share Jesus and uh, working with uh, Pastor Patrick, and uh, who he knew. And um, throughout the uh, week we had him, uh, Anna had been translating that, so he knew that we were believers. But he was a very dedicated Muslim. Now, next to our hotel there in Uganda, the very building next to it was a Muslim mosque. And every day, four times a day, there was a call to prayer. 
And they broadcast, first of all, music and then chanting and then someone speaks. And uh, this is a time when all of the Muslims stop what they're doing and they um, get on the ground and they bow to the east uh, towards Mecca. And this would go on for 20 or 30 minutes sometimes. So keep that in mind. So on Thursday was going to be Peter's last time to work on Craig's back. And so Wednesday, Craig told me, the Lord has strongly impressed upon me that I am to share Christ with Peter. And so we got Anna and we told her about it and we all started praying. And Anna said, as soon as he gets here, I will make sure that I am here with you so I can interpret for you. And so the next day he comes and this time with a big smile on his face. And he is, like I said, warmed up to us. And uh, Anna has not been able to break free to get up there with us. And so he works on Craig's back and then he's finished and he's going to leave. And that was going to be the last time we would see him. So I had brought up a cold Coke. When you are out of the country and you find something that is so American like a Coke, and they're in bottles and they're cold, I mean, it's just a gift. So I had not been able to, I didn't have time to drink it yet, and so I pointed to it and pointed to Patrick. Uh, I'm going to do this one more time. That was Peter. And... uh, (laughs) Y'all are going to go home and say, oh, my soul, I'm not exactly sure how this ends. But anyways, so uh, I point to him and, and he nods. Yes, he would like to have my Coke. So we offer him a chair and we're just trying to bide some, bide some time. Craig and I are trying to speak to him and we're all getting very tickled because he has no idea what we're saying. Well, I had put together a little gift for him. I had uh, gotten several, several food items that we had been gifted in uh, Kenya. The people in the villages where we speak are so generous and it just, it just, kills us. They always want to give us something. The last group, and they believed we were getting on a plane the next day to fly home, they gave us 45 pounds of peanuts. So I had some of those peanuts. We were able to send them to a family in need, but it was such a love gift. And so I had peanuts and popcorn. And then before we had gone to Uganda, my buddy Ray Ray um, had found these wooden crosses at um, what used to be Bibles for China, now Legacy. And uh, a man here at our church carves these crosses out of little pieces of wood. And so she bought up a whole bunch of them. I think there were 30 of them. And while Craig and I were out of town, she had taken them to my grandchildren, and the grandchildren had painted all of them. And we were going to use them in Uganda, and we just gave them out all over the place. Well, I still had a couple, and so I I fixed it up real cute and had that in the bag as well. Anna still has not shown up. And so I'm just showing what I've given him and motioning this is for him, and he's just smiling at me, just really blessed by it all, drinking his cup. Uh, sitting there with us and so I hand him the cross and I begin to try to act this out uh, about my little grandchildren had painted this and so forth and uh, anyways about that time Anna shows up and so she comes in and she explains that my little grandchildren had painted that so I could give them out as gifts in Uganda and his face just lit up well Craig used that moment with the cross to begin the gospel conversation and he just said to him has anyone ever shared with you about the cross of Christ and what it means? And he said, no, no. And so Craig 
began to use that little wooden cross and he used an evangel cube, which is how you share the gospel without words, basically, and was showing him that just as he started that gospel presentation, the call to prayer went off. And I'm telling you, it was so loud, it would wake you out of a dead sleep. It was so loud. Now, he was a devout Muslim. The way he dressed and the way he wore his beard showed that he was quite devout. And so I began to pray against that noise because that is very important to Muslims. And yet he did not take his eyes off my husband. He had leaned in so close and was locked into Craig. And as Anna was translating, we could just see the Spirit of God moving in his life. And so Craig shared with him the gospel. He did it several times just to make sure that he really understood. And so he said, uh, Craig said, Christ died for our sins. He said, for my sins, for Jean's sin, for Anna's sin, and Peter, in perfect English, put his hand over his heart and he said, and for my sins too. And man, we knew, we knew now. You know, it, we, it, it, it was just, we were on shouting ground and we were just about there. And so at the end, Craig said, if this is the desire of your heart, I could lead you in a prayer. You know, don't want to pressure you or anything like that. But if that's the desire of your heart. And he said to Anna, and she translated what he said, I am so ready to pray. And in that moment, Peter stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. While all salvations, all conversions, yes, praise the Lord. They're all glories and they are all supernatural for one to turn their back on the Muslim, which is why I did not bring his picture to show you, although I would have loved to, but we're very concerned in case there's any issues for him. But my husband told him that uh, he, my husband would be preaching at church on Sunday. We'd love for him to come. And he said, tell me where it is. Sunday morning we go. There sits Peter on the very front row. And he is introduced to a Muslim believer, a Muslim Christian, part of that congregation. And he told him he would like to disciple him. So he has actually called us. They've sent pictures. We've talked with the family. And he is teaching Peter about the Lord. We had gotten him a Bible and we gave it to him. And he immediately wanted to know, where do I start reading? And even while he was at our room, he began reading in the book of John. God does amazing things. But here's the point I want to leave you with. I told as we were watching, I mean, his countenance just changed, this huge smile. And uh, we're all sitting around looking at him and, and just enjoying the goodness of God when it hit me. And I said, Craig, had you not hurt your back, we would have never met Peter. I don't know how the sovereignty of God works, but I know it does. And God was orchestrating all through three weeks, very difficult, so that ultimately, through the injured back, God could put Peter in Craig's path. Beloved, the sovereignty of God is one of the greatest gifts that is ours in Christ. 
Well, I cannot believe that we have come to the end of this study, but we have. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. We look forward to being back together, but oh, beloved, let me just tell you, it is the joy of my life to get to come and share God's word with you. I love you all so much. And thank you, thank you for your faithfulness. Praise God. To study and show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. You have dug deep, peeled back the layers of truth. And I believe transformation has taken place in all of our lives as we've studied the life of Joseph. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness during this time. For these precious women who determined that they were going to come and study your word. Father, we know there's lots of things they could be doing on Tuesday morning. But they have chosen to be with their sisters in the Lord to study your word. And I'm asking your blessing upon every one of these precious women. Would you bless them? Would you encourage them? Would you remind them the joy of the Lord is their strength? Would you help them to understand they have been forgiven, that God sees them in Christ, complete in Him? And Lord, may all of us live with such expectancy that one day, one day, we're going to be swept into your presence, and that is where we truly belong. We thank you for our time together, Lord Jesus, and I pray your word will continue to work in all of our hearts and all of our lives as we reflect on all that we have learned from the life of Joseph. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all.